everything you ever wanted to know about tech but were afraid to ask on this tech edition of Industry Focus. Greetings, fool. Sean O'Reilly here, joining you from Fool Headquarters in Alexandria, Virginia. It is Friday, February 5th, 2016, and joining me to drop some tech knowledge is Dylan Lewis. What's up, man? Not too much. Uh, pretty excited to do the show. This is something we've talked about for quite a while. So You've had this in your back pocket for a while now. Well, what I've wanted to do is just kind of build up a cache of good ideas to discuss that I think uh, kind of appeal to the wide range of listeners that we have in terms of investing knowledge. And uh, as they've come in via uh, emails and Twitter responses and things like that, uh, we finally have enough, I think, so, to do a really and, awesome uh, show. And I've got my pen and paper here, so I can take down some notes from... You know, yeah, all, all the knowledge you're going to be dropping. So, oh, yeah. God. School's in session. Um, so, basically, long and short of it is, on January 26th, Apple reported its fiscal first quarter earnings at a time when most companies are not only reporting their fourth quarter earnings, but their full year results. Uh, why does Apple think that it's a special little snowflake, and why does it get its own calendar? Yeah, I think <laughs> the the interesting thing is Apple isn't really all that, like, much of its own special snowflake. It's, right. Uh, it's... Actually, quite a few companies do this, uh, where they have a fiscal year that does not line up with the calendar year. And um, I saw an estimate. I, I don't know how accurate it was, but it was like something like two thirds of companies follow it. Uh, but a regular know, calendar yeah, year, yeah, and then about a third don't. Um, there are a couple different reasons for this. Uh, so retail companies, Q4 tends to be a big sales boom for them, and then of course after Q4, or you know in the week or so following the holidays. You have all of these refunds coming in or exchanges or things like that. And so um, all the contra accounts for revenue you know, yeah. just undergo havoc for, for, that, uh, for that session. And so um, they take a little bit more time to settle out. So you might not see companies wanting to end the fiscal year on December 31st for that reason, just because there'll be some settling that will leak into the next year. Uh, some of the other reasons uh, on the budget side. So if you're a business with very lumpy uh, revenue streams, you know, quarter to quarter, uh, you might prefer to have your busy seasons at the beginning of the year, and this is something that we see with Apple, where you know the holiday- to allow for planning, so you know how much money you have. Exactly, and so uh, their fiscal Q1, calendar Q4, is uh, you know where they make quite a bit of their money, and so knowing that early in the fiscal year allows them to forecast out, make investment plans, things like that, and just allows for better budgeting. Whereas uh, if you were to wait until later in the fiscal year. Or have uh, Q4 as your, you know, kind of make or break quarter. You're setting yourself up where you're making investments early in the year, hoping that you're going to have the cash on hand uh, to be able to finance all of that at the end. Right. And if uh, Vince, my uh, consumer goods partner in crime, were here, he would note and probably highlight the fact that every retailer pretty much ends their fiscal year on like February 2nd or January 31st or whatever. It's because of those returns that you're talking about. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. And I think I think there's also one uh, social element of it where uh, it's just, you know, you look at the holiday season and prepping your all of your year-end bookkeeping and making sure that everything is kind of in place uh, operationally so that you can, you know, in the month following the end of the calendar year, put together everything. Uh, is kind of difficult, and so you know, I, th- yeah. I think there's a, a social element of uh, you know making it easier for people to be out of the office and my, not putting uh, as much stress on the business. My dad is a accounting manager at a Midwestern bank, mm-hmm. and they follow a regular calendar year, and he's frequently cranky around Christmas time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's not fun to be working late, uh, you know, trying to tidy things up. Yeah, uh, ah, these darn auditors, blah blah blah. Yeah, you know, when, when you could be out caroling or something like that. 
Um, okay, so our second question, uh, this comes uh, from a listener email. And the uh, question is, uh, I own quite a few ADRs and wondered if there might be a scope for a podcaster service on investing in Europe and EMs through ADRs. And uh, it's a great question. Uh, it's something that we will get to at some point. But I think before we really delve into that, um, obviously, shout out to uh, Ben E. for sending that into us at industryfocusatfool.com. Uh, but before we get into an ADR-specific show, which is something that I think we want to do at some point, um, I think a lot of a lot of our listeners might not know what an ADR is. Um, in Baidu's case, it actually uh, the translation is uh, "Please invest in me." Is ADR? I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> you had me there for a second. Yeah, no, I, was, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, what does the acronym stand for? Yeah, um, it stands for American Depository Receipt. Okay. Gazuntite, right? Yes. Um, here's the deal. Um, basically, Baidu is a Chinese company. It trades on the Shanghai Stock Exchange. The currency it trades in is the uh, Chinese yuan. I mean, it's very. How open are you to converting your dollars to yen, going over to China, transferring it to a Hong Kong based bank? I mean, oh, it sounds like a lot of work. It sounds like so much. <laughs> just to invest in Baidu. Yeah. Although, on the flip side, um, I mean, Baidu, for all intents and purposes, is basically the Chinese Google. I mean, you probably want a little bit of exposure to that if you're a tech investor. Right. And if you don't have these ADRs accessible to you, it's a pain. It's very onerous to invest in foreign companies. It's a pain. Yeah. yeah. Um, so now I'm going to bore everybody with some basics. Oh, get um, into it. So investors can purchase ADRs from broker dealers or on major exchanges for our, you know, just I'll, I'll mention broker dealers, but pretty much anything that any of our listeners are going to do be, is going to be done on an exchange. Uh, but to create an ADR, a U.S.-based broker purchases shares of the issuer in question in the issuer's home market. So, I don't know, Merrill Lynch or Goldman Sachs or somebody goes over to China, buys the shares. They then deposit those shares in a bank in China, in uh, Baidu's case. The bank then issues American depository receipts, or ADRs, representing those shares to the broker-dealer, who then puts them on the exchanges and trades them and all that stuff. Um, word to the wise, and this is the, the real trick, this makes it easier on U.S.-based investors because they don't have to go through the whole dance of converting their currencies and everything. ADRs are issued and paid dividends in U.S. dollars, making them a good way for average investors to invest in foreign uh, shares. This does not mean that ADRs are immune to foreign currency fluctuations. Anytime Baidu pays a dividend or if Chinese, uh, if the UN just depreciated 50% overnight or whatever, you would still take a hit. Um, That's because the underlying business is denominated exactly. in foreign yeah. currency. Right. Um, long story short, a company pays dividends in its native currency, and the issuing bank di- distributes those dividends in dollars in the case of another dividend-paying share. Um, I know that a lot of, um, for example, British corporations, they have ADRs that trade here, and you'll see, if you go to like Google Finance, their dividend history, mm-hmm. it, it'll be all over the place by just a couple of pennies, and the reason is currency fluctuations. Oh, it's so. interesting. Because, like, yeah, you're so used to seeing a very steady march right. on the dividend. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't even thought of that. So, yeah. Um, great way to do it for an average investor, but... Um, I wouldn't invest in ADRs in like oh I don't know Venezuela or something. <laughs> yeah, you'd want it to be in a relatively stable currency right, country for sure. Um, well, thank you so much for that question, Ben. Uh, like I said, that's something that we will dive into in a later episode. Um, maybe dependent on the industry, uh, we'll, we'll talk with the folks uh, that run some of the other shows and see which one makes the most sense. There's a few ADRs in the uh, maybe I should do it on the energy and materials show. There's a bunch of ADRs for like uh, yeah. Anyway, okay. Yeah. Miners. Cool. Well, before we move on, I wanted to point our listeners to the focus.fool.com that has been newly redesigned. They can take advantage of a discount on the Motley Fool Stock Advisor newsletter. This discount works out to $129 for a full two year subscription. Once again, that is focus.fool.com. 
All right, so moving on to question number three that people are too nervous to ask, but they're super (laughs) curious about. Um, Dylan, in tech acquisitions, it's common for companies that are scooped up to be done so at a huge premium to their carrying values on their balance sheets. The question to you, Dylan, is, um, I understand this effect has something to do with something called goodwill. So, for our listeners, what the heck is goodwill, and why is it such a comical line on the average tech company's balance sheet? Yeah, uh, this is something that I think maybe a lot of people don't understand. Like This, this is deeper-level accounting stuff, and... Um you know, so you look at these huge private companies, and we'll get uh, huge public companies acquiring generally smaller private companies. But every now and then, you'll see this huge balloon payment, like uh, with Facebook and uh, WhatsApp, and that's something we'll get into a little bit to illustrate this. Um, but that's where you see it blow up most for investors, and you know, it's something that they'd be interested in. Uh, so this is kind of an oversimplica- oversimplification here. Uh, but for an acquisition, you kind of break down the valuation like this. So you have your tangible assets, uh, buildings, inventories, anything that you can tie. Pretty much a set dollar value too. That's a physical thing. Um, then you have your intangible assets, uh, trademarks, copyrights, brand, things like that. Less tangible, but there is still some general value you can assign to it. Uh, basically, you take the two of those, put them together, and then the difference, the delta between them and the final purchase price, is what you would call goodwill. And so uh, that is itself another intangible asset that goes on the company's financials. You know what John D. Rockefeller said about goodwill? No. He was he was looking at this balance sheet of uh, another oil refiner he was buying. He said the uh, wasn't sure about the goodwill, but the liabilities were solid. <laughs> <laughs> ah, I like that. Yeah. See. Yeah. Uh, so to give you a little bit more of a concrete example, um, this is what happened when Facebook acquired WhatsApp. Uh, the announced purchase price that was, was not- all goodwill, basically, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah it was, a lot of this transaction was goodwill. Uh, the final purchase price was nineteen billion, and. Um, if you remember, this actually ballooned up to something like twenty. Because it was billion. mostly Facebook stock, which went up. Right? Yeah. So there yeah. was all the share price appreciation, which caused the total purchase price to go up. But we're going to state all of this in, ter- in the original terms prior to that appreciation. Uh, so original purchase price was nineteen billion. Uh, Fifteen point three billion of that total was recorded as goodwill on the company's books. Uh, a lot of that other value was intangible assets. Um, and from the company's SEC filing, uh, this is what they tied that value to. And kind of what they expect from it. Uh, Synergies from future growth, uh, from potential monetization opportunities, from strategic advantages provided in the mobile ecosystem, and from expansion of our mobile messaging offerings. That's their reason for paying this extra fifteen billion. Okay. Yes. All right. And and so what that sums up to is we think there's a lot of growth opportunity here, and it fits well into some of the stuff that we're doing already. Super. Right. And so. uh, one of the things that is important with Goodwill is you have it as this huge budget item, you know, in some cases. Uh, the ongoing maintenance is really where companies can take a ding. Uh, so, uh, from that SEC filing as well, uh, in accordance with ASC 805, Goodwill will not be amortized, but instead will be tested uh, for impairment at least annually and more frequently if certain indicators of impairment are present. In the event that Goodwill has become impaired, we will record an expense for an the amount impaired during the fiscal quarter in which the determination is made. And so that's where the issue with carrying a ton of goodwill comes into play. Right. Uh, because, uh, you know, when you look at tangible assets, you know, there's a relatively solid value there. Um, there's some flu- there can be some fluctuations, right. but uh, it's generally solid. Uh, intangible assets, there's also value there. But when you get into goodwill, um, you're banking on. Growth or some sort of opportunity or, or some sort of synergy name, something. or, or yeah. something kind of coming to light that uh, doesn't currently exist, right? And so, uh, because of that promise and that hope, uh, there's a possibility that you will face an impairment charge down the road if 
whatever the expectations are don't manifest into actual you know, substantive value. So, uh, didn't one of our writers uh, write a great article about this? Yes. Uh, for more on this, there is an awesome article on Fool.com from Evan New. Uh, the headline, I believe it's from 2004, right around when uh, the 2014, Facebook... 2014, you mean? Uh, yeah, 2014. Oh, yeah. Sorry about that. Jeez. <laughs> uh, I uh, haven't made it through my first cup of coffee yet. Uh, so uh, the headline is: Facebook Inc. now has a massive risk just sitting on its balance sheet, and, um, and yes, that's of course the fifteen billion. That yes, you mentioned. and yeah. so it, what it really comes down to uh, with a company making a large acquisition and accounting for quite a bit of that acquisition with goodwill, meaning that there aren't a ton of tangible and intangible assets other than goodwill um, in the underlying acquisition. Uh, you know, cool, big risk there. <laughs> All right. So, uh, we normally get our listener questions via email at industryfocusatfool.com, but uh, for this next question, as I understand it, uh, we have a question from one of our Twitter followers. Yes. We put out a call uh, on uh, my personal Twitter feed and the Motley Fool, Focus, uh, at, Motley Fool Industry Focus. At Wiley feed. Lewis. At Wiley <laughs> Lewis and uh, at MF Industry Focus. And uh, we got a response. And so, uh, this comes from Andy Sorensen, at, so, uh, at Sorensen underscore Andy. Uh, if you could only invest in one tech stock and not sell for 20 years, who is it and why? And first off, uh, awesome, foolish question. That's uh, great. That, yeah. is, that is an extreme long-term view on investing. When yeah. you sent that over to me, I was like, oh, crap. Yeah, it's tough. It is a it's really hard, hard question. It's hard to pick any stock to own for 20 years, let alone a tech stock, which, of course, I mean, the only thing I can think would be worse would be uh, a biotech with Christine Hargis or something. Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> Uh, so, first off, just looking at the tech space, uh, some things that I see and just kind of look for, and especially taking a longer-term longer view, some things that I'm a little wary of, um, it is really tough to persist as a tech hardware manufacturer. Uh, Apple's managed to do it so far because they have that iOS stickiness, and it's across other platforms, and it just works. And people But they love got it. that 40% margin, man, and it's <laughs> <Yeah>. just like... <laughs> <laughs> and, but I think, generally speaking, it's very tough to stay on top as a phone, PC, or tablet manufacturer yeah. and have that be your bread and butter business. So, by and large, I'm not going to look for a hardware manufacturer for a 20-year horizon. Um, I also personally don't love businesses that are solely ad-supported. Uh, and I get into this debate with you all the time about like Facebook or... Uh, and we've been wrong and, every time. And we've time. been wrong every time. <laughs> but um, I'm always wary of the possibility of consumer habits shifting or a new medium coming out there and ad dollars shifting over to it. And uh, you know something that does not have something that underlies the business with, as we talk about, like a social utility. Uh, you know, like, right. I worry about that. And uh, a lot of the things that uh, a business like Facebook is doing... Um, you know, like the expansion with Instagram or like some of their other stuff is just adding gas to that ad fire. I right? finally signed up for Instagram last week. Um, I'm about to turn 30, and this probably has something to do with it. But I was like, this is really dumb. <laughs> My friends love it, and and we're 25. So. I don't know what. Uh, anyway, <laughs> so those two things said. Um, particularly that last one. Maybe my choice doesn't make a ton of sense, but I will explain it. Uh, I'm gonna have to say Alphabet. Uh, I know I, I cannot argue. I know I just said that I don't like ad reliant businesses, um, but to me, their ad business is funding a host of other projects. You look at the stuff they're doing with self driving cars, biotech efforts. It's okay to be an ad based business if you have ninety five percent market share in search engines or something. Which yeah, <laughs> yeah, their market share is insane. Um, but the thing that I really love about them is okay, they have this dominant ad business, and they're using that to funnel money into these 
kind of like lottery ticket research projects, right? I mean, you have things like self-driving cars, biotech efforts via their Calico branch. Uh, they also are doing some stuff with connectivity, uh, with fiber and uh, Project Loon. And so, there's so many things that, if if it takes off, right, they're in business, and they're so going to be so far ahead of pretty much anyone else that's working in that. Do space. you think in like 20 years they'll be like a, a techie GE or Berkshire Hathaway or something? Like I mean, they're this... setting themselves up to do that right. with the with the name change, yeah. yeah. And so, um, I, I mean, you have to like that too. I think you you look at their 480 billion dollar market cap and say, okay, like how much room is there for growth, right? Like that, right. that that's like the big question. But if you're with if you're looking at a 20 year or 20 year investment horizon, uh, no, I'm not going to take any high growth stock right yeah. now. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm going to take something that has that is relatively stable right now and um, has room to grow into a bunch of other outlets, but is you know the dominant player in the space. Uh, man, and uh, okay, so one one of the other things I want to mention with them um, is you look at and this kind of comes with the restructuring that we've seen with Alphabet is there's been a lot of maturation there. Uh, as a business, you know yeah. they've talked about a share repurchase program. Uh, you know they're entertaining that, and like I think they authorized like five billion or so in, yeah. in share repurchases. So um, I think the good times are going to continue to roll for shareholders w- with more with programs dividends, like that. Buybacks, yeah. whatever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Wall Street loves Ruth Porat, their CFO. Yeah. So um, I wouldn't be surprised if ten years from now they have a dividend. You know, if, if they've decided we have enough money, we are funding enough of these high growth projects. Uh, yeah. We can only do so much with it, and we want to share some of it with our shareholders. Cool. Um, to our audience, I swear this is a total coincidence. I agree with you. Yes. Um, I, we completely just separately picked the same company. Yeah. Um, but I'm actually going to back mine up with some valuations. Ooh. So, yeah. Um, first and foremost, the first reason that I picked Google was because it's a verb in the Merriam-Webster dictionary. Can't go wrong there. Yeah. Um, 20 years is a long time, and I'm not 100% sure I have the knowledge to pick any smaller players like, uh, you know, a Cal Amp. Like, yeah. You know, it, I, it's you, you're really subjecting yourself to huge macro trends right. if you're picking a small player like that. Yeah. Um, so that, again, leaves us with the big ones. Um, I'm pretty sure Microsoft, Google, Facebook, Apple will be around in 20 years, mm-hmm. but um, a lot can happen in 20 years. Where was Apple 20 years ago, Dylan? It was 1996. Boy, yeah. I mean, they were making personal. Need computers. I say more? Need yeah, I like say that, more? Like their their whole business was personal computers. <laughs> I, that I point, rest right? my yeah. case. Um, however, I want to make uh, note a few things about the companies I just mentioned. Um, Microsoft, they're having to work harder and harder to grow profits, as I mentioned a few years ago. Um, Facebook is literally at all time highs. Mark Zuckerberg is worth fifty billion dollars, and it trades for forty nine times forward earnings. You know, um, by the way, just since we're talking about 20 years from now, and this is, might be a good bull case for Facebook, did you hear how many uh, users Mark Zuckerberg expects Facebook to have in 2030? Five billion. Uh, yeah. I want, anyway. I, yeah, <laughs> I need to contextualize that with estimated population by 2030, because I, I don't know what that 10, is. right? He thinks half of mankind will be on... Anyway. Okay. Yeah, it could happen. Um Apple, as you noted, is mostly hardware and has few avenues for growth going forward um, that can really move the needle. So, I don't know, cars, like exclamation point there. Yeah, it's hard to know without being totally certain what their car ambitions are. Um, Cars are not the same high-margin business that uh, Whenever I I think Apple car, I think one of those little two-person kitty cars at Disney World that you like sit in and go around (laughs) Well, that's a lot what the... uh, That's a lot... Uh, very similar to what the Google Google car, looks car like. I know. Yeah. it looks yeah. kind of like a dinky little thing, but it's. it's I just picture this like white pod thing. Yeah. Anyway, um, Alphabet on the other hand currently trades for a re- very reasonable twenty five times forward earnings for fiscal year twenty sixteen, um, and you're getting for twenty five times earnings what amounts to an internet monopoly in the United States of America and Europe. 
Yeah, well, I think they're what like thirty or thirty-one times. Yeah, earnings. it's yeah. like yeah, it's very reasonable. Um, I put an asterisk next to this one. Um, my runner-up, just because I wanted to give our listeners a little something extra for their their ears, was uh, Checkpoint uh, Checkpoint Software. Um, they're huh. an Israeli-based company, but they're a competitor to FireEye. Um, they were my pick in a supernova round okay. two months ago. Um, Israeli-based company. They've been in the business twenty years doing software for computers. Um, they so this is not an upstart business. This is not an upstart business. They mint money, hmm. mint. They trade for twenty times earnings and fifteen times free cash flow. Um, cash from operations of the last twelve months was nine hundred seventeen million, and their capex was seventeen million. So they have nine hundred million dollars that just came in the door of the last twelve months. That they have no idea what to do with. And the I'm guessing the part of the investment thesis is the. Overall macro trend of exactly. cybersecurity becoming so, much much more important. And at the end of the day, and I know FireEye's got that um, uh, the, the accolade from the federal government, of the United mm-hmm. States, for whatever, and that's fine. But when you're doing something with internet security, I don't necessarily want to go with an upstart. I want somebody with 20 years of experience doing this stuff and has I, they have like 140 products to fit every IT every possible security IT needs. So yeah. uh, that's my runner up. I. For people that might scoff at us talking only about the big companies on a 20-year horizon, um, I looked at if you were to have put $100 in IBM and Microsoft and dripped the dividends oh boy. in 1995. Uh, for IBM, uh, please. you'd be sitting on $900 today, which is an 11% return annualized. Not bad. Microsoft, uh, you'd be sitting on $2,000 today, Ooh. 15% annualized return. Uh, so I think that just underscores that... A lot of the big tech names uh, are not going to go anywhere, and um, if these companies have very shareholder-friendly programs in place, like dividends or share repurchase programs, uh, and you decide to drip those dividends, uh, reinvest them rather than take them as cash, uh, that can be a very, very nice way to boost your total returns rather than relying solely on share price appreciation. For sure. Okay. All right. Well, thanks, Dylan. Yeah, I think we dropped some knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're a loyal listener and have questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Just email us at industryfocus at fool.com. Again, that's industryfocus at fool.com. And as always, people in this program may have interests in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against those stocks. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear on this program. For Dylan Lewis, I'm Sean O'Reilly. Thanks for listening, and Fool on! Fool on!